This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Well, good morning, everybody. Man, it's so good to see so many of you today. Uh, Along with Jazz, I just want to welcome you to New Life. So glad you chose to be here. If you're visiting from out of town, so glad you're here. If you're a guest with us for the first time, man, I am so thankful that you chose to invest a little bit of your Sunday with us. And uh, I know it's a risk when you come to church for the first time to uh, try something new. And I I just want to invite you, make yourself at home, get comfortable. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, I'd love to meet you after the service today. I'll be out towards Guest Central where we have a gift for you that I'd love to pass your direction. Uh, We are in this series called For NorCal, where we're asking some big questions about what it means for us to be a gathering in this larger Northern California community. So when you hear the word church, oftentimes we think like space or building or place that we come, but when God actually envisioned the church, he envisioned more of a fluid gathering or community of people who are experiencing something that is changing our lives. And that thing that we're experiencing is we're experiencing a a God who is very real, who's not distant out there, who set rules and laws up and expects us to toe the line, but a God who's very present right here in this moment with us. And what we experience is then leaking through us. And so God invites us to be a gathering of people who is known for what we are for. But for too long, we talked about this on week one, the church has been known for what we are against. And that's something that we need to switch because God didn't come into this world to be against this world. God actually came into this world to be for this world. And so we're asking the question, what would it look like practically for the next 20 years? Because we are now into our 21st year as a gathering. What would it look like practically for the next 20 years to be a community that is for our larger Northern California community? And then last week I talked to you about this little symbol right here, Coca-Cola, which is the second most recognizable symbol in the world today. And the reason it's the most re- second most recognizable symbol is because of the vision that they have, which is simply to get one of these within arm's reach of every human being on the planet. And I said to you last week, apparently Coca-Cola is very passionate about sugar water, like extremely passionate about getting this stuff into arm's reach of every person. But while this is the second most recognizable symbol in the world today, the most recognizable symbol is that thing sitting behind me, the cross. And the reason why the cross is the most recognizable symbol is because like Coca-Cola, and even before Coca-Cola, if you can believe that, God had a vision to let the whole world know God's great love. And so we talked about the fact that while Coca-Cola has a long way to go in achieving their vision, boy, the church has a long way to go in achieving God's dream and vision and heart, which is that every single person in our community would know that God actually loves them, has a plan for them, wants to see great things happen in their life, in their family, in their children, neighborhood, work, community. What I want to talk about today is how do we bridge that gap? How how can we be for NorCal in a way that invites our community to know that God deeply loves them. To do that, I want to talk about taglines, because every great company has a great tagline associated with it. And when you think about or you hear this tagline, you always think about the company and what it represents and what it means. And I'm assuming that that is true, but I could be totally wrong. So I'm going to need some help from you, because if I fail at this part, 
I'm going to walk off stage. So if there's something you want to do right now, just make everyone be incredibly silent. And I want you to know this isn't a, like a prank. You're not the only one who's going to shout out. Everyone's actually going to be talking back to me. So I'm going to read a tagline, and you just tell me which company it is if you know it. And if you don't know it, go get some coffee in the lobby and bring it in. My goodness, wake up. Okay? <laughs> it's Sunday morning. Great, let's, let's see if we can do this together. Just do it. Nike. Nike. Good, good. We started easy. Okay, that's good. You got it. Most of you. Okay. Melts in your mouth. Not in your hands. And wow, you guys are like trying to be first. I appreciate that. That's good. I got a lot of A students in here. M&M's, you're right. Okay, let's try this one. Yeah, I'm loving it. You know what you're not loving is that feeling about an hour later after you eat your McDonald's. It's like, oh, I'm grieving it. Um, Da-da-da-da-da. Um, here's the, here's the thing about taglines. Taglines, when you first heard them, super catchy, right? It's like, oh, I'm loving it. What? Get in the car now, kids. We got to get some McDonald's. Or, yes, I don't want those M&Ms to melt in my hands. I need to shovel them by the scoopful into my mouth. It was so powerful. But a good tagline is easily memorable, easily repeatable, and it sticks with us. The problem with a good tagline is oftentimes it becomes white noise. To where it's like, oh yeah, I'm loving it. Like, meh. Melts in your mouth, not in your hands. Kind of clever. Just do it. Uh, you know, not a phrase you think you'd hear in church, but a good phrase. Um, if you're Nike. By the way, uh, I had my birthday yesterday. So, appreciate that. Stop. Stop. Thank you for that. I feel, I feel actually really good. I feel like I look, I look really good for 45. The problem is I'm 37. So... Uh, but apparently I got a little bit looser after I turned 37, and the team this morning was like, hey, lock it up a little bit. So we'll see what happens, but I just want to keep you on your toes. I want to talk to you for a second about God's tagline, because God's tagline through Jesus communicates something about who God is. And here's the thing about this tagline. The minute I put it up on the screen, 95% of us are going to know it, and we'll be able to finish the rest of the sentence. And actually, that's not a good thing for you. Because most likely you've heard this line so many times that it's become white noise. It's like, yeah, I know. Yeah, I get it. Okay. What I want to do today is I want to compare this line that Jesus says. Because when Jesus walked on this earth, and he did walk on this earth, by the way, he's the most well-documented figure in human history. More books have been written about him than any other person. And and it's well documented that he lived, that he was crucified, that he was nailed to a cross, that he was buried and rose again, not just by Jesus' followers, but Jewish people who didn't really want Jesus' story or movement to go out of the first century by Romans who definitely didn't want it to go out of the first century. I'm telling you, this guy lived and he changed human history. So whatever you believe about his divinity, we can all agree that he was here. And Jesus says this thing about God that when it was first said was completely other. I mean, totally foreign and different to every other ancient religion that was in existence. And it's, it's different. I mean, wholly different than every religion that exists today. The problem is we've just heard it so many times that it's become white noise. And if you're here today and you have not read or heard this phrase, you are actually in such great shape 
Because for you, you get to hear it fresh today. And you might hear this thing and, and it might start to shape the way that you understand God and faith and life. And I would invite you, boy, allow that process to happen today. So here it is. Let's see it up on the screens. And I actually changed the, the translation from the one you've normally heard because I want us to read it and hear it differently. For this is the way that God loved the world. Anybody know who said that? I've given you the answer already. Jesus. Jesus said that. By the way, if you're ever in church, you don't know the answer. Jesus is always a good answer. Like, just shout out Jesus. You're probably going to be right if you're in church. You got it right. Well done. And when Jesus first uttered these words, it was, it was revolutionary. What he's saying here, this is the way that God loved the world. In the original language, it carries with it this idea that this is the extent to which God showed his love. Now, here's why this is so interesting. And I know you're going to nerd out with me on ancient religion today. So if you're like, I love studying and learning about ancient religions, you're going to be so excited today. And the rest of you, I've got the microphone. So, but this is so interesting because in the ancient world, no gods loved the world. They didn't. They toiled in the world. They had to work in the world. In fact, there are multiple ancient stories of how the world came into being because from the beginning of time, humanity has wondered, how did we get here? Why are we here? What is our purpose? And what's it going to look like after we depart from this space. The reason why that's a common human question is because according to God, he's planted something inside our hearts that craves the answer to the bigger question. Why am I here? What is the purpose? And what happens after my 37 or 47 or 87 years on this earth? But let me tell you about one of these creation stories. It's called the Enuma Elish. It's a Babylonian creation story. And in this story, there are all kinds of gods and goddesses, and they've created this world. And there's this head god, his name is Marduk. And and Marduk's kind of the head of the pantheon of gods, and they've created this world. And one day, all the gods come to Marduk, and they start complaining, we hate our lives. So Marduk says, why? What's wrong with your life? We have to toil. We have to work. We have to slave over this land. Can't you do something about it? And Marduk has this light bulb moment. And this is what we're told in this ancient Babylonian story about how you and I came into being and our purpose here. It says this in the Enuma Elish. Marduk says, I know what I'll do. I will establish a savage and man shall be his name. He shall be charged with the service of the gods. He, the, the role of this savage will be service. And not like fun service, like, oh, I'm doing this thing I was created to do, but like slavery. So that the gods could be at ease. And this is the story of almost all gods and goddesses in the ancient world. That you were created not to be the object of affection of the God, you were created to be a slave to the gods. And your job is to toil and work in slavery in hopes that the gods might not destroy you and that you might gain some favor. Now, 
over and against that, we have Jesus saying what this God is really like. And he says this, this is the way God loves you. And this is the extent of God's love for you. That God gave his one and only son. Now here's one thing you need to know about the ancient world. Gods did not sacrifice on behalf of people. People sacrificed on behalf of gods. They would sacrifice their grain, their meat. In some ancient stories, they would sacrifice their children and people. Why? In order to appease the gods so that the gods might not destroy them. And Jesus walks on the scene and says, let me tell you about the love of this God, the one true God, the capital G. He's the, he's the OG. He's the original God. He is the creator of all things. He actually sacrificed his only son so that everyone, I want you to mark that in your brains, who believes in him will not experience eternal nothingness, will not perish but will experience eternal life. Now, here's the thing about the gods and the goddesses in the rest of the ancient world. They were tribal gods and regional gods. And the goal of the people was to, the people gave, the people sacrificed to their gods so that the gods would have favor for the people and would destroy their enemies. See, the gods in the ancient world, they only liked their people. And they hated everyone who was different than their people. But the God of the Bible, Jesus says, the God that Jesus reveals to us is not a tribal God. Because when Jesus walked into this world, the Jewish people assumed that God was a tribal God, a national God, a Jewish God over and against the rest of the world. That was never God's desire or intention. If you read the beginning of the Bible all the way through, God's always wanted to be a global God. But people have a way of sucking God into our own norms. And saying God is for whatever I'm for and God is against everything else. Does this resonate at all with anybody in the world today? That we like to assume that whatever we is for, we are, we is for, whatever we is for, whatever we are for, God must be for, whatever we are against, God must be against. Because God is our God, he's our tribal God, he's our national God, over and against the other tribes or nations or peoples. But that's not the story that Jesus tells He says that God is actually a global God who gave himself for everyone so that no person would have to perish, but every person would experience eternal life, which had two contexts in the ancient world. The first would be the fullness of life here and now. Life to the brim, a life overflowing. We could all use a little bit more of that. And the second meaning was that life that happens when we take our last breath here, which I'm telling you, whether you're a religious person or not, whether you're a spiritual person or not, we all wonder what happens after this. At some point you will. If you have not yet, you will at some point in your life ask this question. Yeah, but what about after 80 years or 90 years? Or what about after I, you know, I turn 100? I was just thinking, oh my goodness, only 63 years and I get a letter from the president, (laughs) which is very exciting because... I'm pretty sure my daughter is going to be president. So it's like I'll get a birthday card from my daughter on my 100th birthday. That's very exciting to me. Sorry for the rest of your kids who want to be president. 
But we all wonder sometimes, lock it up. We all wonder sometimes, what happens there? Here's, here's what we know. And here's what Jesus tells us. And please don't miss the gravity of this. Jesus came here to say to us, to this world, listen, there is a God who knows you, who loves you. And this God, there's a divergence. There's a divergence. And apart from this God, you're on a path towards perishing. You and I know that to be true. Left to our own devices, we've all laid in bed before and thought to ourselves, why? Why did I do that? Why did I say that? Why did I, why did I go there? Why, why did I drink that? Why did I smoke that? Why did I chat with her? Why did I look at that? Why, why did I tell that story? I promised I wouldn't tell that story to another person. Why did I tell it? What's, what is it that compelled me to do that? I'll tell you what it is. Left to our own devices, there's this thing inside of us called sin. And sin, it erodes flourishing. Sin is this thing that has us hurting ourselves, hurting those closest to us, and ultimately, if there is a God, has separated us from God so that we would experience perishing in this life. And the problem is, we, none of us wants it, none of us likes it, but none of us can on our own stop it. And so God gave his only son to take the penalty and the power out of that reality so that you and I could experience the forgiveness of God, so that you and I could experience unity with God and power to overcome those things that we could not overcome on our own. Jesus goes on to say this, God did not send Jesus into the world to condemn the world because the world already stood condemned. It's like, I don't need to come to you and say, hey, there's, you know, you sin sometimes, right? I don't need to say that to you. That's what you have a wife for. Um, no, I always get in trouble when I say that. I am so sorry. I, I try to stop these things and they just flow out of my mouth. I've got some work to do. Yeah, I don't need to tell you that you sin. Listen, you see me on stage all the time. No, here's why I don't need to tell you. Because you felt it. You've seen the effects of it. You know what it looks like to stand condemned. So God did not send his son into the world to show you that you are condemned. He actually sent his son into the world so that the world could be saved through him. This is, this is something brand new. This was the calling card of God to the world from the very beginning. And Jesus came into this world fully God, Fully man. He was God in a bod. He was here with us to show us what it looks like to walk in unity and intimate relationship with God and then to invite us in. Here's what Jesus did. He invested his life in this world. He invested himself. No God had ever invested themselves in the world. The ancient gods and goddesses saw it as our job to invest our lives for them. 
But God invested his life for us. And then he invited us into a relationship with a God who he describes most aptly as a perfect, loving, heavenly father. Here's what Jesus did. God sent Jesus into the world to prove once and for all that he is for NorCal. And not just for NorCal. He is for the world. He's not a tribal God, an ethnic God, a national God. God is a global God. But that goes back to this thing for us. What is our part in God's story? Because church is way more than this building we come into. It is a gathering of people who have experienced for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. And we erupt into applause because we're so excited. The church is a gathering of people who have experienced that reality here who get to join God in this great story of proving that he is for NorCal, that he is for our community. And there's this guy who was this prolific church planter and, and philosopher, and he was like a type A driven leader. If you're a type A kind of a leader, you would like this guy. His name's Paul. He was an enemy of God, hated God, believed that, well, hated Jesus, I should say, believed that God was a tribal God a national God, a Jewish God, and that Jesus was somehow diluting the true God. And so he found his mission in life as destroying Jesus' followers, eradicating these gatherings, throwing people in prison, having people murdered. Until one day on a road, he's walking and he meets Jesus. And by the way, we create environments like this every week for your kids, for you, for families, for NorCal, in hopes that if you come regularly enough, sometime you will meet Jesus. I can't do that for you. Here's what I can do and our team can do. We can create environments that make space for you to meet Jesus. And I trust that like Paul, someday you will. Maybe it's today. And when you do, it will be a game changer for you. And here's what happened with Paul. He met Jesus and he did a 180 with his life. And instead of destroying these little gatherings, he decided his, his mission in life was to create more of these gatherings and create flourishing. And, and he actually talks about the fact that each of us has a part to play in this great story. Here's the way that he puts it. He picks up on the idea of what Jesus said was God's calling card. And he says, in Christ, which is Jesus' title, it's not his last name, even though your dad used to think it was, because your dad would hit his thumb with a hammer and he would say, Jesus Christ. And you thought, oh, that's a fun last name. No, that's not his last name. It's a title. It's a title, which means Savior. The Holy One of God who came to this earth. In Christ, God was reconciling. That's a big word. Reconciling means to take two things that are unlike and bring them back together. To take two things that are diametrically opposed and bring them back together. And what he's saying is God is perfect and holy and right and good. And humanity has this sin problem. And so we were opposed to God. But in Christ, 
God was bringing these two unlike things back together because God, through Jesus, invested his life in this world and invited us to follow God. So he's bringing two unlike things back together. Maybe you're here today and you've got a relationship where it feels like there are two unlike things that cannot come back together. Maybe it's with a friend, a coworker, a spouse, a child. Listen, through Jesus, God makes it his job to partner with you to bring two unlike things back together. He's reconciling this beautiful, messy world back to himself. Not counting people's sins against them. And then, he says, he has given us a message of reconciliation. He goes on to say this, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Another SAT word right there. Here's what ambassadors were in the ancient world. Ambassadors were like emissaries, emissaries, whatever. (laughs) Ambassadors were like ambassadors who would go from a king or a ruler to a neighboring nation where there was hostility. And they would have to go in there with hopes of bringing peace between these two neighboring nations before war broke out. Now, here's the key for an ambassador. For an ambassador to be able to do their job well, they had to gain the favor of a hostile nation. They had to, can you imagine walking into a community where the people of that community were hostile to the one you gave your allegiance to? where they believed that your ruler was against them, wanting to destroy them, judging them. It's not so hard to imagine because we live in a community. And the dominant narrative is that God is against our community, judging our community, not for our community. That God would actually say, this is what, uh, what as I have conversations with my neighbors, this is what I hear. Well, sure, if I came to church and started doing the right stuff, then maybe God would be okay with me. But where I am right now, God is against me. It takes a lot for a person to walk into a church when they think God is primarily against them. So the role of an ambassador was to leave their kingdom from their ruler, go to a neighboring nation, a neighboring kingdom, a neighboring clan or tribe, and somehow win the favor of the tribe so that they could bring peace between two opposing sides. And Paul picks up on this and says, we are Jesus' ambassadors. As though God were making a plea through us to Northern California. So the question we should be asking is this. What could it look like then to practically act like we are for our NorCal neighbors? Because if we're totally honest, God is inviting us into our communities, into our schools, into our neighborhoods, into our relationships to primarily, first and foremost, gain the favor of a hostile community in hopes that as we gain the favor of a community, that we might be able to invite our community to meet a God who is in favor of our community. 
put it this way. What would it look like to practically be for NorCal families? What would that look like practically? As a church gathering? As individuals? What would it look like? I can tell you one of the things we're dreaming about as a church gathering, we're dreaming about creating environments that are the top family environments for Sonoma County families anywhere of any nonprofit. We're not trying to just be a good uh, children's ministry or youth ministry. We're not trying to have good stuff for families, like better than the other churches, anything like that. We're not in competition with other churches. We are trying to be the, the nonprofit in Sonoma County where people would say, I want to go there with my family. Jesus followers, non-Jesus followers, because there's something about them. It's irresistible. That's our hope, is to create irresistible environments where families could come where children could experience flourishing and thriving, where parents could be trained and developed. What does it look like to be for Northern California families? That's a big question that we're asking as a church gathering, but that we can be asking as, as employers. What does it look like as an employer to not just be for my bottom line, but be, to be for the families of my employees? What does it look like across the board? What does it look like to be for our NorCal neighbors? Like, practically, tangibly for our neighbors. I mean, what, what could it be? I, my kids at our old house, we just moved a little while ago, but at our old house, we had this great neighborhood. My kids would go out and they would, um, they would just sweep up leaves around the neighborhood and just put them in garbage cans just to be for our NorCal neighbors. Now, it was so funny because they always did it at all these other houses and then we get to our house and it's like, what's it look like to be for your NorCal parents? I mean, that's the question that I'm asking my children. What's it look like? Practically, I mean, nuts and bolts. Please write this down. You have notes. They're blank. Just write it down. What does it look like to be for my neighbors? Chew on that this week. What's it look like to be for my NorCal coworkers? To be for my boss? Ah, if you work here at New Life, that's a great question to ask. Um, what's it look like to be for employees? What if your win at work was that your coworkers, that your supervisors, and that your employees, what if your win was their flourishing? How would that change every day? What if your win was their flourishing? I mean, this is what it looks like to practically be an ambassador to our community. What's it look like to be for NorCal teachers in schools? At our best, um, we get very little time with kids. At our best, the church. Let's say we get your, your family for, I don't know, 30 Sundays a year at an hour a Sunday, because I'm not so great with math, so we're going to keep it simple. That would be 30 hours. Did you know that educators get something like 1,500 hours with your kids? So we should ask the question, how can we boost up teachers how can we boost up administrators? How can we be for the flourishing and thriving of our schools? I'm so surprised that I'm not getting amens from teachers like all over this room right now. Like I am awake. Okay, thank you. Thank you. I know some of you work outside of this immediate community. You're like, well, come on, man. Listen, I'll, I'll video this down to your community. You're welcome. I'm here for you. I mean, I don't know. I'm no, I'm no, great, I'm no great guy. I honestly distract my kids' classes more than I, I help sometimes, I think. But this is why... I invest part of my day off in my kids' classrooms to show the teachers at Wilson Elementary School that I'm actually for them, that I care about them, that we love them. 
This is why at New Life we love to host schools doing performances and things to show that we are actually for teachers in schools. If there's one group of people in our community that should lead the way in being for people, it should be us because we are Christ's ambassadors. And Jesus, God sent Jesus to prove that he is for NorCal. This is why he came. How did he do it? Let me wrap up with this. Jesus did two things. He invested himself in the world, and he invited the world to know God. He invested, and he invited. He invested, and he invited. He came into the world, and he invited the world into God's family. What if we just did the same thing? What if we use that same simple formula? What if we choose to invest our lives in Northern California, to invest ourselves? And then what if we choose to invite people to environments where they can meet Jesus? Friends, that could be a game changer. Here's the great thing about this. You don't have to know everything about God to invite someone to an environment where they can meet Jesus. And here's the great thing about our church. Over the next year and a half, you're going to see changes to environments that make environments around here irresistible. Irresistible. I already know that for many of us, you think I would invite my friends to New Life anytime, and I love that about you. Let's keep that going. I'm telling you, in a year and a half, in two years, these environments that people walk into on Sunday morning, that your kids are walking into, that your life groups are walking into, that you're walking into, are going to be so irresistible that you're going to be begging people to come. It's going to be so irresistible that I'm telling you, I will tell parents, don't bring your kids to our kids' programs unless you're ready to commit yourself to coming to church because your kids are going to fall in love with it. Easter is five weeks away. Can you believe that? April Fool's Day. I am really working hard at limiting my April Fool's Jesus is risen jokes to maybe one per service. I'm really working hard at that. Easter is five weeks away. What if for the next five weeks we invested our lives? I mean, really intentionally invested ourselves in our community. And we prayed every day at 112 for the 112,000 people in our immediate reach community. And we prayed, prayed, prayed that God would use us to invite people to know him. And then what if we invited people to Easter? Easter's going to be great. I just wrote the message for Easter Sunday. It's going to be really good. Uh, the title is uh, Nick and Joe Saved Easter. And if that, you're like, what? Nick and Joe? Oh man, it's going to be so good. You got to come. <laughs> how Nick and Joe saved Easter. And it tells a story about how we know that Jesus lived and died and rose again and how that was a game changer for us. What if for the next five weeks we invest, 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 and then invite people to simply come on Easter and meet Jesus? And today I want to invite you, as we wrap our time up together, if you've, never, if you've never experienced God the way I'm talking about God, then you've never experienced the God that Jesus reveals in the Bible. You just haven't. You've experienced some counterfeit, some fake, but you've not yet met God. And if you've never met God, I want to invite you, today could be your day to meet him. How? How do I do that? Well, I'm just going to say a prayer to close our time together, and it's no magic formula. It's no, like, spell. It's simply giving voice to a reality that you're experiencing in here. And if you're ready to say, you know what? I want to know that God, the one that Jesus revealed, who's wholly different than every other deity in the ancient world. 
you can pray with me and you can make that next step. So do you join me as we pray together? Jesus, thank you that when you, uh, when you came to show us God's tagline for the world or when you showed us the way that God branded God's self, thank you, Jesus, that you revealed to us a God who is holy and completely different from our understanding and from any understanding of gods and goddesses. That you are a God who did not come to take and rip and steal and condemn, but you are a God who came to give yourself, investing your life for us, and that you invite us to walk with you. Would you show us as a community what it looks like to be your ambassadors? in Northern California, investing our lives for the sake of this community and inviting our community to come and know you. As we continue to pray, if you're here and you're ready to start this journey with God, you can repeat the simple prayer just right where you're sitting. You can whisper it or just say it inside your head. Say something like this. You can say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you love me. And I believe that you actually came here for me to save me from a life that was apart from God, where I had to live by myself and on my own. And today I want to accept your invitation to walk with you. So God, would you forgive me of those destructive things I have done that you call sin, that have hurt me, that have hurt others, that have separated me from you. God, forgive me of that. And God, would you begin to heal me from the places where that brokenness has left me scarred? And would you show me what it looks like to walk with you every day from this day forward? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.